Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is, uh, once again, Deuteronomy is known as the second law. Moses, right here on the brink of entering into the promised land, he's repeating all of the law for this new generation of Israelites. It's a series of sermons that Moses is giving to the people. And much of what we're going to go over tonight, it's mentioned previously in Leviticus, it's mentioned previously in Numbers, and in other portions of uh, the Pentateuch as well. But we'll do our best to get through here. God's Word is always amazing. First time I read through it, I'm like, Lord, what are we going to get out of this? And then now as I keep reading through, it's like, Lord, I don't know if we're going to be able to get through all of this tonight. But we'll read verse eight, uh, chapter 18, verse 1 through 8, and then we'll break it up into its sections. It says, The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. Therefore they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice, whether a bull or a sheep. They shall give to the priest the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach, the first fruits of your grain and your new wine and your oil, and the first of the fleece of your sheep you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand, to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. So if a Levite comes from any of your gates, from where he dwells among all Israel, and comes with all the desire of his mind to the place which the Lord chooses, then he may serve in the name of the Lord his God, as all his brethren the Levites do who stand there before the Lord. They shall have equal portions to eat besides what comes from the sale of his inheritance. We've gone over this a few times as we've journeyed through the Old Testament that each of the tribes of Israel were allotted a certain plot of land. A certain section of land was given to each and every one of the tribes except for the tribe of Levi. Originally, the patriarch of the tribe of Levi, whose name was Levi, he was cursed because of his evil and atrocities and violence against a pagan group of people. However, later on in Exodus 32, uh, we could turn there real quick. This is one of my favorite little story arcs within the, the first five books of the Bible. It is the tribe of Levi and how they go from being cursed to truly being the most blessed of all the tribes of Israel. Because in Exodus 32, we see this famous chapter where the nation of Israel commits the great sin of the golden calf. Aaron makes the golden calf, then they all gather around worshiping the golden calf, while Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God face to face as a friend. And yet he comes down. God tells him, hey, you got to go down there. And he comes down to find a great orgy, a great drunkenness, and people dancing around naked around the golden calf. There in Exodus 32, verse 25, it says, Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, For Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. For the sake of time, we'll just jump to verse 29, and then it says, Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. You see, God blessed the obedience of the Levites. He blessed them, and now he's going to call them exclusively to serve him. Originally, God was going to take the oldest son from every single family and have that be his group of men to serve him. 
But when the Levites all came and said, we're going to stand on God's side, then God said, I'm going to call this whole entire tribe to serve me and follow me and serve the people on my behalf. And because of this, the Levites went from being the most cursed of all tribes to being the most blessed of all tribes, if you have the right perspective. The Levites were able to share in the offerings made to the Lord their God. God would provide for them through the sacrifices and through the offerings of the Israelites. Imagine God sharing what's been given to him to other humans. That's exactly what he does with the Levites. In verse 3 and 4, we see that the Levites weren't given their favorite pick or whatever they wanted from the offering. Our God is a God of order, and he deserved what was best, and then he had specific cuts of the animal and specific sections of the grain and the wine and the oil and the fleece in verse 4 to care for and provide for the Levites. The Levites also had certain cities in each of the other 12 tribes that was a city where you'd have a group of Levites living inside of each of these tribes. Verse 5, for the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. Today, God, he does not call a certain tribe to be his priests, but what does he do for us as believers? He calls us, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are now a nation of priests. All believers, we have been called to be priests. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you're saved, you've been chosen. You've been chosen by God to serve him and to serve people on his behalf. We are his own special people. And what we should be doing is proclaiming the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Just as the Levites were the chosen group to serve the Lord, minister to the Lord, and have God be their inheritance. Now we have been called to serve the Lord our God, serve on behalf of the Lord our God. And we've been given the privilege to have God as our inheritance. Are you blessed by that? Or is that sort of, eh, I already know that, Zach, not a big deal. Not a big deal, not that important to me. In Psalm 73, verse 25, it says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, if God is truly the most important thing that you have, the most important thing that you're connected to, then you're going to be able to withstand any and every storm in life. Because that connection will never be broken. From this side of eternity till thousands of years after eternity. We can get through insane storms in this life. We can be like Paul, content in every state of life because God is now our inheritance and we're his chosen people. He's picked us. He selected us to be near to him. Then in verse 6 and 7, we see special people even within God's special people. Verse 6 and 7 says, So if... A Levite comes from any of your gates, from where he dwells among all Israel, and comes with all the desire of his mind to the place which the Lord chooses, then he may serve in the name of the Lord his God, as all his brethren the Levites do, who stand there before the Lord. 
You see, with the amount of Levites that there were, they would only need to spend a small time out of each year, every few years, actually serving in the tabernacle or actually serving in the temple. There was only a small rotation needed for them to take care of what was happening in that area. However, if there was a Levite that came and the desire of his heart and mind was to serve the Lord God even more so, he wasn't to be shunned, he wasn't to be forbidden, he wasn't to be sent away, but no, he was allowed to come and stand before the Lord God. What is your heart towards service? Is it something you have to do? Is it something you're always running away from? Is it like avoiding George Lee because you don't want to see him because he's going to ask you, hey, when are you going to start serving? Or is it something that you're on a certain rotation and yet you're coming to see, can I serve even more? What is your heart towards service? Because what we see here is that within God's chosen people, there was a chosen and special group of men that wanted to serve the Lord even more. And you don't just have to be a Levite. What we see throughout the book of Psalms is that there was a man, not from the tribe of the Levites, but a man from the tribe of Judah whose heart was to be serving in the Lord's house. The great psalmist of Israel, all over the Psalms, we see his heart and his desire. Psalm 26 verse 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Psalm 63, verse 1 and 2, O God, You are my God, early will I seek You. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory. Finally, Psalm 84 verse 10. It says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. This isn't a poor man writing these. This isn't a homeless man writing these saying, hey, I don't have AC in my house. Of course, I'd rather be at church. It's always freezing in there. This isn't a man that has no home. This isn't a man that has poor means. This isn't a beggar. No, this is a king. A man with all the money in the world, all the power in the world. And he's saying, I would rather be in the house of the Lord I own the nicest house in all of Israel. His house, his kingdom was nicer than the very tabernacle and that bugged David. And then he says, man, I would rather be there in the tabernacle than where I'm at right now. Family, where is our heart? We live in a day and age where many people just say, if you're watching online, you're especially busted, right? Hey, I've had a long day. I'll just sit here, be in my PJs, eat my dinner, and then just do church at home. In emergencies, absolutely, but more often than not, we are called to come into the house of the Lord. And it's a lot simpler for us today than it was for the Israelites in these ancient times. Having to go by camels in sand in the wilderness, going all the way across the country to the one location that was the house of God. We're so blessed today. Can we truly say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness? I'd rather just be a doorkeeper, one of the greeters, than spend a thousand days anywhere else. We see that there's special Levites within the Levites. Verse 8, it says, They shall have equal portions to eat, besides what comes from the sale of his inheritance. Now, once again, the Israelites, uh, the Levites, sorry, were allowed to have certain cities throughout the 12 tribes. And within these cities, they were allowed to have cattle or have farmland and provide an extra amount of money to provide for them and do things like that. They were allowed to live off of their own sweat besides what God would provide for them through the sacrifice. And this is exactly what God is saying. They are to have equal portions to eat. They can all share from what I have received from the sacrifices of my people. 
And what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll just turn there real quick and just read through it. This is applicable to Old Testament priests, and this is applicable also to New Testament pastors or New Testament people that work within churches. And we'll just read through it. It's pretty self-explanatory. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 through 14. Paul says, do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we've sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Or if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. For some, it's strange for someone working at a church to collect an income from the church. But we see that it's biblical. Now, if the guy working at the church has a, a car that's worth more than half of the parishioners' houses, uh, that's not right. That's not good either. The minister should be living in similar means to the people there within the house of the Lord. We jump back to Deuteronomy 18. And now we come to, again, as the more you just dig into God's word, the more you find, the more that comes out. It's alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. We see God warning the nation of Israel to not learn about the abominations of the current culture. Israel was about to go into the land of Canaan and clear house. There was tons of different nations that were committing different abominations. And after God had allowed 400 years to go by, he said, now is time to purge these nations. But he warns them in verse 9 through 14. He says, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist. Or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Each of us have this danger of being so curious. Have you ever heard that saying, curiosity killed the cat? We know with Eve, her disobedience to God was to scratch that curiosity. God said we could eat out of every tree in the garden except one. Why can't we eat from that tree? What would happen? What's so bad about it? And in order to fulfill her curiosity with the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it costed her deeply. I think many of us as kids, we get introduced into bad things and evil things just to scratch that itch of curiosity. What does that taste like? What will that do to me? What does that image, what will happen? What will that feel like? And here we have a warning from the Lord God to not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. 
As the New Testament says, we should be wise when it comes to good, and we should be infants when it comes to things that are evil. We don't have to know every single evil thing out there. Just be wise, be in the Word of God, and know more and more about the Word of God. And the great cost that it costed Eve and Adam just could be said of the Israelites as well. If only they would have obeyed the Lord and stayed in the lanes that God had set for them, they would have been blessed immensely for all of time. We really see no stop if they would have just been obedient to the Lord their God. But learning and following the worship and spiritual aspects of other nations would lead to their demise and destruction over and over and over again. As you read through the book of Judges, as you read through the kings, you see one king that would go back to the Lord their God, and then the next king back to the Ashtoreth, back to Baal, back to this, back to that, and once again it would lead to their demise and destruction. It all starts off in verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. This speaks of the worship of Molech. And Molech was a god that they created into an idol made out of brass. And this god Molech would demand his worshipers to sacrifice their own children for their comfort and pleasure and finances. They would heat up this brass idol with coals and fires under it to the point where this brass idol's hands would be burning and glowing red, in which point they would lay a baby on the idol's hands. And worshiping this idol, the whole group would begin to scream and yell and bang drums in order to worship Molech and drown out the screams of the baby. Today, we may not bring our children to Molech, but there are many who sacrifice their children for money and for comfort and for pleasure, whether it's through abortion and through many other means. As Americans, we go after money and comfort and pleasure, and we sacrifice our own children. If we're honest, this mindset has crept into the church where many wait as long as possible to have children because they need more money, they want to enjoy their comfort, and they want to have a little bit more pleasure as a young couple. We have to be careful with this. These are things from the world that are creeping into our hearts and our way of life. And if you've had an abortion in the past, the Lord, He loves you. And he wants to forgive you. He doesn't want to condemn you over it. In fact, he wants to use you and your testimony to warn other young ladies, to warn other young couples about the great pain and torment that they'll be facing if they go through something like that. But for a believer to believe it's okay to kill a baby is something that is completely unbiblical. It goes from the one who passes their sons or daughters through the fire to the one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer. A soothsayer speaks of someone who predicts the future through stars, clouds, and other celestial objects. Christian, how do you do with your curiosity? Do you know what your sign is? I don't know what my sign is. I barely know what a stop sign is or what that means. Are you obsessed with your horoscope? Do you get updates on what your horoscope is? What's with your curiosity? All of this is just a demonic temptation of Satan to get you focused on something other than Jesus Christ and his word. I think perhaps even the Lord has put that desire within us to know our future. Human beings, we're the ones that consider what what happens after death. What is my life going to look like? What's the next five years going to look like? What's the next ten years going to look like? What's my future going to be? I think God's put that desire within us, but it's all found in the Word of God. It's all found right here. Half of Scripture is prophecy. And it's found right here in Scripture if we would search. But Satan, as he usually does, he provides these fake and alternatives to get our focus on these other things instead of the one true prophet. Or one who interprets omens. David Guzik, he says, The word omen comes from the root to hiss 
or to whisper. It refers to psychics and fortune tellers who use aids other than natural created things to gain knowledge in order to tell the future and cast spells. I don't know what it is next to the beach or next to water and oceans, but you always see tarot card readers or palm readers or psychics near water and ocean towns. People who tell your future through a crystal ball or a seance looking into your future. The Ouija board and other garbage out there. At best, they're stealing your money. At worst... You're opening yourself up to the demonic realm. I'm probably aging myself here, but as a kid, I remember Miss Chloe, the fortune teller you could call in and she would tell your fortune. Forget how much it was a minute or five minutes or ten minutes, but I'll never forget the commercials. Every once in a while, I always hear Pastor Joe mention in his teachings how he loved the news article because she shut down as a business. She closed down as a business. And the title of the news article says, She Never Saw It Coming. So many of these fortune tellers, we think, oh, it's just fun. It's just clean fun. No, at best, you're funding someone who's stealing from people left and right. At worst, you're opening yourself up to the demonic realm. Then it says, or a sorcerer. We can jump to Galatians chapter 5 because there's also a warning for sorcery in Galatians chapter 5. All those Christian Harry Potter lovers always got to wrestle with that. Galatians chapter 5. Just kidding, half kidding, just kidding. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Galatians 5, 19, it puts it so plain and simple for us. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, and sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice these things, if this is something you're doing on a continual basis, whether it's adultery, fornication, jealousy, outburst of wrath, all of these things, there's a warning here for us. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But that word sorcery here is the Greek word pharmakia, where we get our word pharmacy. And we know that drug use is a work of the flesh. Now, we don't go to the extreme of the people out there that say any type of modern medicine or any type of drug administered by a doctor is unholy. We're not there whatsoever. Even Paul tells Timothy, his son in the faith, hey, drink a little wine because it's going to help out your stomach. However, with modern medicine, you do. You need to pray and be wise and seek the Lord and make decisions based on peace and not off of fear. But how many lives have been destroyed by drugs? Not just their own person's life, but their family, their friends, their children, their brothers, their sisters, their parents. How many lives have been destroyed by drugs And yet they're becoming more popular than ever. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, someone gifted us tickets to a UM football game. And it seemed like half of the people there were vaping, even though it says, do not vape in the stadium. And half of the the people next to us, they were just plastered out of their mind. I don't know why they went to the game. They They were plastered. They weren't paying attention. They were just numb sitting there. You can barely go out in public without seeing someone having to vape to calm themselves down. But, but it goes even further, fentanyl. In the United States, there's more than 150 fentanyl-related overdose deaths every day. Every day within the U.S., there's 150 people that die due to fentanyl. The use of mushrooms. Today, there's videos of people claiming that the true meaning of Christmas is red and white mushrooms that people used to get high on. And they still get high on it today. 
There's the substance known as DMT. It's also known as the spirit molecule. And this and other psychedelics are becoming more and more mainstream. The podcast, many people, millions of Americans are listening to, are describing the incredible spiritual realizations you get when you're on these type of substances. Even doctors, teachers, Exercise coaches are encouraging people to do micro-dosing of mushrooms to push their bodies and their minds to further limits. And these psychedelics have similar effects to LSD and toad licking. Now, who licks toads, right? It sounds so weird and strange, but this is how deep some people go for these highs. But what we see scripturally is that they're not just seeing spiritual forces They're not just having out-of-body scenarios that they're going through. They're not just seeing new depths of reality. No, they are opening themselves up to the spiritual and the demonic realm. And yet, this is more popular than ever before. Talk to some of the police officers we have here and some of the first responders we have here. And when people are hyped up on drugs, it's difficult to detain them. It's difficult to even speak to them. There's demonic activity going on. And yet how many believers make room for whatever the drug that they want to be addicted to? They try to find room for it, but scripturally it's a work of the flesh. And it's evident. Stay away from any type of sorcery and pharmacia and this type of drug use. Verse 11, back to Deuteronomy 18. Or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. Again, more and more mainstream, even in some of our private and public schools, you'll have Wiccan groups after school. And hey, come meet, and we can become a Wiccan with us as well, and practicing witchcraft. There are those who label themselves as white witches because they are using good magic. Tom Brady's wife, he said jokingly or maybe half-jokingly, his wife was a good witch because she was a white witch and that's why they won so many Super Bowls. That we have a hunger for the spiritual realm all around us. Yet oftentimes people are going after the spiritual forces of darkness. And what God says to his sons and daughters, you are not to learn about the abominations that the world is going after. Because, verse 12, for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. Once again, Israel was being used as a tool to punish the nations that were living in the land of Canaan. Punish them for what they were doing to their children. Punish them for the sexual sin they were committing. Punish them for practicing these demonic acts that were an abomination to him. And now he's warning his own people that, yes, you're my chosen people. But if you begin acting like a Canaanite and living like a Canaanite, God is going to treat you just as he treated the Canaanites. It's an abomination to him. And just as he used the Israelites to punish these sinful nations, he would do the same to them if they would go after these things. And verse 13 and 14, it says, You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Be blameless. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. There's no doubt that verse 13, we could just take it for ourselves and apply it to ourselves, that we need to live in a way that is blameless. But here within the context of this, this is a specific message for Israel to be blameless when it comes to these specific acts. This is not just the general call of being holy as he is holy, but a specific commandment to be blameless when it comes to these occult practices. So what should our attitude be if we've gotten caught up into such things? If you've caught yourself investing into crystals or investing into horoscopes, if you have your own private collection of Ouija boards or tarot cards and things like that, 
We can go to Acts chapter 19 and we'll see a great New Testament example. What should we do? What should we do if we've gotten caught up with these type of practices? If we've invested into these types of things, what should we do? Acts chapter 19 verse 19 We can start actually in verse 17. It says, This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books all together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Hey, if you've gotten caught up investing money into bad things and sinful things, and follow scripture, get rid of it, torch it up. Because if you want the word of the Lord to grow mightily in you and prevail, you should leave no room for the flesh and no room to run back to your former lifestyle. Many Christians, we leave ourselves in an in emergency break glass when we have a hunger towards sin. There's a certain little room where we'll have a stash, a certain bottle hiding somewhere, a certain phone number that we're unwilling to delete. And in the back of our minds, we're not burning the ships. We're saying, just in case there's ever an itch in my flesh, ever, just in case there's ever a desire to go back to sin, I'm going to keep that door open just in case. I encourage you, burn the ships and follow the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And what we see in verse 15 is that once you come in contact with the real thing, once you come in contact with the prophet who knows the end from the beginning, once you come in contact with the being who created you and knitted you in your mother's womb, why are you wasting your time with any of these counterfeits? Why waste your time? Why waste your money with any of these counterfeits? Verse 15 and 16, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, capital P prophet, like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear, according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. We don't have time to go there, but as God first spoke to the nation of Israel, he spoke to the entire nation audibly. They're camped out at the foot of a mountain, Mount Horeb, and God was speaking verbally to all the nation of Israel. The whole entire area was shaking. The whole mountain was on fire. And the nation of Israel told Moses, we don't want to hear God anymore. If we keep hearing his voice, we're going to die. Moses, you go, you hear God on our behalf, and you tell us what he has to say. So God has sent us a great prophet. God has sent us a great mediator so that we can mediate and talk with God. So we can hear his voice. So that we can be near to him and not die. And the name of that prophet is Jesus Christ. He's come. He's our mediator. It's not another human being. It's so sad. More and more often I hear people being burnt out from churches trying to tell people who they should and shouldn't marry. Telling people what job they should work, what they should do for the rest of their life. That's not for a human to tell you. That's for you in your walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. You search him out and you get that word from the Lord your God. Seek Jesus Christ. He's the only mediator between God and man. Verse 17 through 19 it says, And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. And I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I 
will require it of him. We can jump back to the book of Acts in chapter 3. We see Peter telling us who this prophet is. And then in chapter 7, we see Stephen, the first martyr, also telling us who this prophet is. But all over the Gospels, Jesus says over and over and over again, what I'm doing is the will of the Father. What I'm saying, I say nothing unless God is telling me to say it. And this is the heart of Jesus Christ. And if we don't hear what Jesus has told us through the Gospels, we're gonna, it's going to be required of us. We're going to go through death and death eternally. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If we've sinned, if we've done wrong, the only way we taste of refreshment is through repentance. That's the only way. And your pride is going to lock in. Your heels are going to go in. For some, it's so difficult to say those three little words. But biblically, the only way refreshing can come is through repentance. Verse 20, And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, and him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. In Acts chapter 7, verse 37, this is Stephen, and he says, This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Jesus Christ, he's the great prophet that God has sent for us. So that we can hear from him, not from all these other demonic types of things trying to steal our money or rob us of so much joy and peace. Seek Jesus Christ. Now in verse 20, through the end of the chapter, we see Satan's other angle is a false prophet. Someone who comes saying that they're working on behalf of the Lord, but they are a counterfeit. In Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 20 it says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen, or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. We see that there are false prophets that say they're coming on behalf of the Lord God, but they are a false prophet. In verse 20, it starts off telling us it's not just about whether this person or has heard from the Lord or not. It's can they honestly say God has commanded them to speak? Because in verse 20, it says, which I have not commanded him to speak. It's all about knowing this is what God has commanded them to speak to people. Then it says, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. There'd be a lot less false prophets if we would go through this prescription, right? Every time a false prophet says something and it's false, that's it. A lot less false prophets out there. We live in the New Testament now, but we shouldn't be sending them our money or our business. Those who prophesied COVID being over, over and over again, or racism being over, over and over again, or all sorts of other things, and yet they still make money and people still follow them. Be careful. When someone calls themselves a prophet, that's a red flag right there, right there for you. Verse 21 and 22, And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Okay, God, okay, Zach, how should I know the person is a false prophet or a real prophet? 
Here, what God is saying is, my prophets are 100% accurate. If that prophet is anything but 100% accurate, they are a false prophet. And within the, the nation of Israel, that false prophet should be put to death. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, it warns us. This was in the daily reading this week. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We're to test the spirits just because someone says, hey, I'm a prophet, or I'm speaking to you on behalf of God, or thus saith the Lord, be careful. Wait, test the spirits. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse 29, and God giving us the proper order for a believer's meeting, the proper order when a prophecy has been given, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three prophets speak and then let others judge. We should judge people when they're uttering so-called prophecies. We should stand back, trust the same Holy Spirit that's within us, and call them out if it's a lie. These are false prophets. We read earlier about the complete opposite, the occult and the forces of darkness. And all of this is just noise to get our eyes off the one true prophet. Get our ears away from listening to the one true prophet. Family, there's bold counterfeits out there like everything we read about witchcraft and sorcery and drugs. But then there's sneaky counterfeits. Those faux lexes out there. What a deal I'm getting, right? What a deal. And they're sneaky and they come to you as an angel of light, but they are hiding themselves and their darkness. Be careful. May each and every one of us Test the spirits. May we be that nation of priests, holy and set apart to the Lord our God. And may he truly be our inheritance and the one thing we are truly attached to. The one thing where we find joy and happiness. The one thing that we see that sustains us in each and every season of life. And may we be that special Levite among the Levites. That we love the Lord God so much. We love being in his house so much that we desire and we're asking to be in his courts more than anywhere else. More than anywhere else. So let's pray. Then we'll read through 1 Corinthians 11 and we'll have communion. So Lord, we thank you once again for your word. And God, may you just fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Help us to discern spirits, Lord. Help us to hear from you. And Lord, if we've been giving ourselves over to any phonies, Lord, we just pray that you'd reveal that to us, that you'd open our eyes, Lord, that we'd be able to call things out as we see them, Lord. So we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11. Always such a joy to be able to take communion and not just take communion with my family at home, the five of us, but to be able to take communion with the church body. It's something that we see in the early church, Acts 2.42, and it led to so much blessing. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Worship team, you guys can start coming on up here. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup in the new covenant, in my blood, this do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And the, the command here is to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. And then the second part is to examine ourselves. Remember his sacrifice. Remember his death. Remember his love for each and every one of us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then that we would examine ourselves. Lord, where is there sin in my life? Where are these sins that I'm trying to hide or brush under the rug? But something a little bit different that I want to invite you to do is to examine yourself and see just how much God has matured you or grown you in the past six months and rejoice in that. You see, sometimes we just hit ourselves over the head with condemnation over and over and over again. But it's also good for us as believers to take a a step back and say, wow, Lord, look at what you've done. Who would have thunk? Lots of times in my life, I stand back and I say, who would have thunk? Knowing my life, knowing what I've been through, knowing who I used to be at certain places, I stand back and I say, Lord, who would have thunk? Look at what you've done, God. This is crazy. This is amazing. So for us, may we examine ourselves. And if we need to confess sins to get right with the Lord, man, do that. But don't condemn yourself if you're doing relatively well with the Lord. Take a step back and don't worship yourself. Take a step back and give that glory to the Lord. Wow, Lord, look at what you've done. Look at the man I used to be, the husband I used to be. And Lord, look at what you've done. So remember the Lord and examine yourself as you take communion. And after the pastor's handed out, when you're ready, you can take of the bread and then drink of the cup. So, Lord, we we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your incredible sacrifice for us, Lord. Father, we thank you. There's not one parent that loves anyone else, Lord, that would commit such an act of love and mercy and grace. Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Draw us near to you. Draw us near to that sacrifice that we would realize the weight and the cost of it, Lord. And Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to examine ourselves, Lord. We know that our heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? So Holy Spirit, reveal to us those besetting sins, those sins that we're lying to ourselves about. Lord, would you reveal that to us? And Lord, to to those of us that we're prone to condemn ourselves and we, we sin in our condemnation, God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to just be joyful in what you've done in us and through us. That we would give you even more glory, God, and the sinners that you've taken and just what your transforming work of love and grace has brought. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.